When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. Eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. So today, have a seat, and we will begin with a vocabulary lesson. <laughs> it's a word that every woman should learn, and if you don't have any, today's show may help you get some. The word for today is chutzpah. It is, you know, you know that word? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> it's a Yiddish word that means boldness, courage, guts, nerve. And for the first time, Today, we are presenting special chutzpah awards. Our first award goes to a single mother who found her chutzpah at gunpoint. Step away a little bit further from the curb. Melissa O'Connell is now a police officer. At a 432. But almost two years ago, she led a very different life. Melissa, a single mom, was a bookkeeper and excited about the new house she just bought. But what happened in her own bedroom put her strength to the ultimate test. I was alone that night. My son was with his father for the evening, thankfully. I went to bed around 11.30. I was working 911. Somebody broke in my house and tried to rape me. I was woken up by a man, and he was on top of me. The first thing I saw was a mask, and then he was shining a flashlight in my face. I said he had a gun. He was going to kill me, and I fought with him. I was trying to get him off of me, just pushing him, kicking him, my feet, just get off of me, get off of me. And he had a gun, I could feel it on my chest. And so I started pushing it towards him so that I wouldn't get hurt. And then he said, do you want to die? I said, no. Something inside of me kind of snapped. Just kind of had an adrenaline burst. And I pushed him off of the bed and he hit the wall. Well, during that violent struggle, an amazing thing happened. While fighting for her life, Melissa somehow managed to get control of the gun and pulled the trigger. I rolled him off of me. He must have lost his grip of the gun, and then I had my hand on the gun, and then somewhere in there, I fired the gun. It seemed so surreal. I turned the gun on him, and I shot it. And I pulled off his mask. I'd never seen him before in my life. He was just staring at me. 
So I ran out, and I thought he was going to be right behind me. Do you know which way he may have gone? I have no idea. And all three shots were fired. Police later told Melissa she had killed her attacker. That's when I started to really kind of go into shock. His name was Michael McGurl. He was a registered sex offender who had spent 16 years in prison. Once we searched the attacker's car, we found what indicated that he was a serial rapist. There were numerous blood smears throughout the car. Bloody duct tape and binoculars were also found. I've never seen a case where the victim has gotten the upper hand on her attacker and actually was able to survive that encounter. She is a brave young woman. I have less fear now, because if you think about it, you know, the, the thing that I fear the most is what happened to me. I would have rather died that night than to get raped. I would rather my son have a mother that could still hug him and want to be around him than someone that couldn't deal with him because of what they had been through and couldn't give him love and couldn't give him affection. So that was the decision I made that night, is to fight. Please welcome a woman with a lot of chutzpah, Melissa O'Connell. Interesting to hear you say you have less fear because, and I think for a lot of women, that is the greatest fear. And once, it, once you're in the middle of it, do you think that this is what I've feared all my life and now this is the moment? Well, I didn't think that at the moment, but definitely afterwards, that was the first thing I thought of, that that's the, something I'd always feared. I think most, like you said, most women do, and it happened to so many women that I knew, and I think that's one of the reasons why I responded the way I did, because it had happened to other people that I knew. You say adrenaline rush, something kicked in where you just say, the moment he said, do you want to die? Yes, something in me just responded with this huge no. I didn't say no, but my body just pushed him off of mm -hmm. me, and I just, um, I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. What happens to you the next night you have to sleep in that bed? Oh, immediately, I was very fearful. I mean, uh -huh. I went through typical post-trauma for about two, three months. Okay. I didn't sleep in my house for three weeks, and then people okay. slept with me for three weeks mm -hmm. in the house, and mm -hmm. so... No, I had my little movie that replayed over and over again every time I closed my eyes. Why did you pull off the mask? Well, people often ask me that. I wanted to know that I didn't know him. I wanted to make sure it wasn't somebody that I knew. Uh -huh. And I also wanted to be able to identify him to the police, because I didn't know what was going to happen if he was going to run out of my house. And then I would have no idea if he had this mask on, uh -huh. what he looked like or anything like that. Well, in honor of your bravery, we wanted to send you home with a token of our admiration for you. So we had a special chutzpah award oh, designed. Oh, thank it's like you. like a little bow, and it does chutzpah. Oh, It's, it's, a, it's, it's a physical structure, but it, it, what, the heart and courage that you demonstrated is, is what it's really there to represent. So, Thank you. yeah, you stand for everything all of us wish we could do in a moment like that. Thank you so much. This is one of my all-time favorite chutzpah stories. Put yourself in this situation. You're carjacked. Your baby's in the car with you. Would you freeze or would you dig down deep and do what Esther Green did? It started like a typical day. Esther Green spent the morning with her 10-month-old daughter, Victoria, then went to the mall with a friend. Esther double-parked her new Mercedes here and moved to the back seat with her daughter while her friend ran into this shop. Suddenly, a stranger got in the car. 
that is the moment that I keep on replaying over and over in my mind. That's the, I think that was the moment at which I had the most amount of fear. This is where I was sitting in the back seat when the guy got in the car and began to pull off. I leaned over and jammed his face with my arm and grabbed the wheel with my other, and I began to blow the horn to attract attention. I was just screaming at the top of my voice to let my baby out, let me and my baby out, he can take the car. Then despite her terror, Esther remembered something crucial. She had a cell phone. We were leaving the parking lot. I glanced into the diaper bag and saw the cell phone. I dialed 911 very, very quietly and prayed somebody was listening. Somebody was. A group of dispatchers at a nearby emergency center received Esther's desperate call. As the dispatchers listened, the quick-thinking Esther began describing landmarks, clues she prayed would help them locate her. I knew that I had to survive. I got the baby out of the car seat and I was preparing to jump. I figured that my car, my phone was not working and that it was up to me to save me and my baby. Then, to Esther's horror, the carjacker stopped to pick up his accomplice. How am I going to jump with him sitting right next to us? I thought that we probably will not be able to escape this. But by this point, miraculously guided by Esther, the police were already closing in. Driver, get on the ground! I'm talking to you! Get on the ground! After their agonizing ordeal, Esther and Victoria finally were free. I tell my husband and everyone that an angel must have come in that car and taken over for me. Very, very lucky by the grace of God. Isn't that an amazing story? I love that story. Okay, so what's the word of the day? Very good. It's a Yiddish word that means nerve, gut, courage. Our next Chutzpah Award winner grew up literally in hell on earth. In fact, her triumph is so extraordinary that Hollywood made it into a movie. This is where my mom is buried. We had no money for a real funeral, and they donated this slot to us. They had this pine box, and somebody had taken a black magic marker, and they misspelled her name on the top. The waste of her life made me begin to reflect on the waste of my own. Watching her mother die of AIDS was just another dark chapter in Liz Murray's childhood. It was consumed by drug-addicted parents, hunger, and homelessness. She took us back to where it all started. This is the building. I lived here for 13 years with my parents. This was the center of my world and the center of their drug addiction. This is where they shifted from being casual drug users to full-blown junkies. The mailboxes were over there first of every month. So the mailman brings everybody's disability check. We'd get the check, and then the first stop would be down Grand Avenue so my parents could get drugs. And three days later, the check would be gone, and that's when we would go hungry. Liz knew it was up to her to put food on the table, so she found a job bagging groceries when she was just eight years old. I wasn't angry at my parents. I didn't blame them. I just thought I had to take care of myself. When I was younger, the house was a disaster. For years, our tub was just this black swamp, and there was garbage on the floor. 
That's to be. <laughs> Liz says watching her parents shoot up in their home was just a normal part of her day. We'd go and take out the cereal from the cabinet, pour it, and then the spoons were bent and misshapen from the drug use. And I remember even tasting the bitter taste of Coke on my spoons. And one time there was a needle on the floor, and I remember doing some kind of cartwheel and sticking myself with the needle. So I had my first AIDS test when I was 11 years old. She skipped school most days to work and care for her mother, who was sick and schizophrenic. Liz also wanted to avoid the teasing at school. If you have lice in your hair, dirt on your neck, holes in your clothes, school doesn't feel like an option. No, no, I never went to school. She had virtually no formal education, but she learned on her own, reading books. Lady in my building was kind of a pack rat, and she saved these old encyclopedias from the trash, and I added that to the collection of my father's unreturned library books, and I went into my room and I just read. When Liz's parents split up, her father left to live in a shelter, and she became homeless at 15. When my mom finally ended up in the hospital, sick and dying, I took to the streets. Liz found an escape, wandering the streets of New York City and partying with her pack of friends. In my mind, I was having more fun than I could have possibly ever had. And in terms of school, it was the last thing on my mind. When she was 16, her mother died of AIDS, and that's when she decided to stop running from her own life. I said to myself, what if I woke up and every single day I did everything within my ability during that day to change my life? What could happen in just a month, a year? What would be different about my life? Well, what would be different is what makes Liz a woman with incredible chutzpah. As you listen to the next part of her story, imagine what it took to make this happen at her age. For the first time in her life, Liz made school a priority. I doubled up my course load and I took one full school year per semester. And at night, you know, when the janitor was leaving school and locking me out, I would go and I'd ride the subway four or five times back and forth and then I'd go to my morning class and no one would even know the difference. She studied on subways, in the light of doorways, and in two years, she finished four years of high school and graduated top two of her class, all while being homeless. It didn't matter if I didn't have anywhere to live, so long as I was determined. That hard work paid off in a big way when Liz was accepted to Harvard University. Wow, homeless to Harvard. My life changed after that. Now that is chutzpah. My God. Um, so, homeless to Harvard. Yeah, that's me now, yeah. I guess. Homeless to Harvard, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And so tell me, what was it? What did something, you know, we heard earlier, the story of the moment when somebody says, do you want to die? Something clicks in you and says, no, I don't. Did something click? Was there a moment? Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely, I, I realized that I was responsible for my own life all along, you know? I, I knew that growing up, but I never turned that into some proactive change mm -hmm. until later. I guess people have this discovery at some point that their life will always be their own responsibility. I found out people get this later in life usually, right? Yeah. Like I got to college and my roommate was crying the first time she had to do her own laundry. <laughs> this is a, a revelation. <laughs> she, she argued it was symbolic. It's symbolic. She, fine. It's all relative, right? But yeah. for me, I grew up this way. What I think is so amazing is that you got it at age 16, because I think I was like in my 20s yeah. or late 20s. Right. But that, that, I would say that that is my creed. It's also one of the reasons why uh, one of the 
undercurrent themes that runs through this show is that you are responsible for your life. And even when you're eight years old and you don't know it, you are responsible for your life. You are responsible for your life. And the sooner you realize that, the, the, the less time you spend waiting on other people to do stuff for you, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, Which is it's, a waste of time. Yeah, it's major, yeah. major. Go, yeah, you will go, I can't even imagine. Your future's so bright, it burns my eyes. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> cause that's something Harvard can't teach you. No. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that when I showed up. Yeah. I thought, I've got something over them. They yeah. may have these private educations, but I know I have something inside That's me right. that will help me no matter what comes up. That's right. Well, unbeknownst to Liz, people have admired her chutzpah since she was a little girl. Do you remember Elizabeth Hernandez? Yes. Okay, and her son, Rick, who lived nearby. Yes. <laughs> they often tried to help Liz when they could. And I understand they took you in and fed you sometimes. Oh, yeah. And Very tried to so. make you feel like family. I, I was her family. Okay. Yeah. Well, we tracked them down. Okay. Rick and Elizabeth, we know you haven't seen them in a few years. Come on out, guys. Come on out. So, Rick, what do you remember about Liz as a child? What do you remember? <laughs> oh, my God. I remember when we first met. Um, we came a long way from jumping on mattresses in an alley when we were eight years old. And I remember the first time going to your house. Um, I could smell the, your house walking in the, um, when we got to the top of the steps. And I remember that you were so embarrassed to let everybody into your house because you knew how it was. I hung out with Rick for about five years before he knew anything about me. Before family. I was even let into her house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And nobody was ever let into her house. And I didn't understand why. And then I went there one day, and I saw the trash all over the place, and I saw her mother shaking on the bed from drugs, and we used to lock ourselves inside of her room and then go on the fire escape and just dream about the future. But I just wanted to let you know that you have been an inspiration to my life, and it was you that inspired me to be a great writer. Oh. You know what? I love you, and I thank God for putting you in my life. Oh, thank you, guys. So here you were neighbor trying to create some sense of family for this little girl who you knew was Yeah, that's lost. correct. Liz, she's like a daughter to me. Mm -hmm. She is a daughter to me. I'm so really proud of her that she made it to Harvard. I remember when she was little, back when she was eight years old, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that when she ate in my house, her home-cooked meals that I made for, I didn't realize that would be the only food that I she might have. Of course, you didn't I made sure they didn't realize. Yeah. You understand? Yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that when I washed the clothes, it would be the only clean clothes she will have. You know, I just didn't realize that she didn't have a normal family life. Mm -hmm. No, see, I hid everything like a secret yeah, for so many years did. because mm -hmm. I felt so ashamed. I felt like it was my fault. I think mm -hmm. when kids grow up in this environment, as I'm learning and I reach out to other kids and young people, that you blame yourself. Yeah. And I did but for you so know many what? years. It doesn't come to a surprise that you've made it. You came this far. You know, it didn't come as a surprise to me. You know, because, because back then, you've always had spunk and courage. You was always planning What's to do that? something, and <laughs> nothing was impossible She always had chutzpah. Yes, yeah, since she was little. Yeah, little girl. Nothing was impossible. But you know what? Let me just say, let me say to you, because yeah. this is, as you were saying that, the little hairs on my head rose, because we are all angels or have the possibility of being angels to each other. And so for all the people who are out there watching and those of us here who today, where you think you have to do some great big grand thing in the world or have to write some big check 
Look at what you did for the heart of a little girl by washing her clothes and giving her a meal. You really did. I grew up having a sense of family. I knew my parents loved me, but that role wasn't fulfilled until I came to your house. I will never be able to thank you for what you did for me. Isn't this wonderful? Let me just say that um, Maya Angelou has a phrase that she'd written in one of her books a long time ago that that I I, want to share with you. You make me proud to spell my name, W-O-M-A-N. Liz has written a book on her story. And for all of you with students who are, you know, struggling or kids who are struggling, you should get that book and let them read it. Here's your Hutzpah Award. We salute you. (laughs) If you've been looking for a big boost of inspiration, these women are going to lift you up to the stars, I believe. Uh, Don't you feel inspired by that? You feel like you can do anything. It's our first ever Hutzpah Awards. Amanda was 18 years old and excited to be heading off to college, but she had no way of knowing that her own father was about to alter her life forever. Amanda Hugh was a senior in high school with a bright future ahead. I was really excited to go off to college and start the whole college experience. At the same time, I was scared because I knew that I'd be leaving my mom. Amanda's mother, Marie, appeared to have a great life. She was a devoted wife for 20 years and a loving mother to her three daughters, 18-year-old Amanda, 13-year-old Jennifer, and 8-year-old Stephanie. Only Amanda knew the secret pain her mother endured for years. I remember a lot of violence in my childhood as early as when I was six or seven years old. I remember seeing a lot of red marks around her neck or bruises on her or her elbows from falling on the ground. My mom and dad were fighting in the bathroom hall across from our bedroom, and my dad was strangling her. He drug her into the bedroom, and she grabbed onto the carpet, grabbed onto the walls, fought back. You could see tears rolling down her face, and she was just crying for help. I remember hearing my dad say, if you call the police, I'll kill you. Even though Amanda witnessed violence, nothing prepared her for what came next. 911 emergency. There's someone down. She's, she's laying in her, in her bed. I hang up, sir. I'm dispatching officers. When I arrived at the scene, there was a deceased female that was 34 years old. She had suffered two gunshot wounds, one to the abdomen and a second was in her chest. I knew right away when they told me um, that my mom was killed, that it was my dad. In my heart, there was no, no doubt about it. Two days later, Amanda's father, Joseph Hugh, was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 32 years in prison. Without parents and as the oldest, Amanda's only concern was what would happen to her sisters. What happened next at just 18 years old is why Amanda is earning a Hutzpah Award. It was just an unspoken agreement that if something did happen to my mom, that I would take care of the girls. It would be the most natural thing to do. Vocab class, where do you want me to sign? Just right here. Just one week before she was to be a college student, Amanda put her life on hold and became a parent instead. 26 out of 30, huh? Good yeah. job. My life immediately became engulfed with school functions and school activities, hockey, dance line, doing laundry. I was really scared to know that I was the sole responsible person um, for these two little girls was a really scary thought. Have fun at practice. Bye. See you later. This whole experience has made me realize how much I can do and how strong I am as a person. <laughs> 
please welcome Amanda. You were just a couple weeks away from going to college and your whole life is altered. And now you are a few weeks away from becoming a police officer, I understand. I am. Yeah. I'm about three weeks away from uh, graduating from the police academy in St. Paul. And you were able to do that while also raising your sisters. Yep. Yeah. I, I was, while raising my sisters, I was going to school full time to finish my degree um, in order to become a police officer, which is something I've wanted to do since I was a kid for so long, uh, primarily because- Your mom? Because of my mom, because I saw the violence and I saw how much a police officer can impact, uh, whether with what they do or don't do, mm -hmm. um, people's lives, how much they can touch and inspire. Mm -hmm. so. What do you want to say, Jennifer, to your big sister? That we're really, Stephanie and I are both very grateful for everything she's done for us and putting her life on hold so that we can live ours as normal as possible. And even though we don't say it enough, we really do love you and we're really thankful for you. And that's why we wanted to honor you too with our Hutzpah <laughs> Award made just for you. Thank you so much, Amanda. Leslie Mouton, a San Antonio news anchor, made a bold statement showing her chutzpah during the evening news. My hair was an enormous part of my life. I spent so much time and money cutting it and coloring it. It was a part of my identity. As a news anchor, it was really important to make sure I looked my best. I felt a lump in my breast. Within four days, I got the phone call, Leslie, it's not what we hoped, it's breast cancer. The surgeon explained to me what we're gonna have to do, the surgery, I was fine with that. I'm not freaked out about cancer, I didn't cry about surgery, but I cried when I found out I would lose my hair. Here's the adriamycin, this will cause you to lose your hair. It's gonna be okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm a news anchor. A hair is a part of who I am. I decided the best way for me to deal with it would be to do it on my terms. So I held a huge party, and it was a hair shaving party. I was trying to make it a positive thing for Nicole, my daughter, so she wouldn't be freaked out about it. Inside, I was hurting, and I cried through the process. It was very heart-wrenching. Our hair is such a huge part of who we think we are. Many women won't even walk around their own house without their wig on because they're afraid to look in the mirror and face themselves bald. I was bald for the first time, and I looked into the mirror, and instead of seeing the same Leslie I'd always seen staring back, there was this other person. And it forced me to search deep into my soul and staring back at me was the real Leslie. I went back to work with the wig on my head. So every night part of my getting ready for the newscast was putting on that wig, taping it down. And one night I decided just to make a statement to anchor bald and to show people that bald can be beautiful. And the response has been phenomenal. And so I've decided it's time to put the wig in the locker for good. I've learned that my hair is not who I am. It is not a part of my identity. If I would have let my vanity take hold, it would have eaten me up faster than the cancer. I've come out better spiritually, emotionally, physically, and so I would never turn back the clock and take it away. This next story will definitely go down in our Hutzpah Hall of Fame. It's the incredible story of Australian gynecologist Catherine Hamlin, who spent the last 50 years of her life saving young girls and women in Africa from a horrible existence. This terrified 12-year-old girl is being forced into marriage, a common practice in the African country of Ethiopia. If she's like many girls in these small villages, she'll soon be pregnant, even though her small and underdeveloped body is not ready to give birth. 
Many of these girls, some as young as 13, struggle with labor for days without medical assistance and usually deliver a stillborn. But that is just the beginning of their nightmare because the trauma of labor rips apart their insides, leaving these girls to drip a constant stream of urine that follows them wherever they go. They develop an internal hole called a fistula. And no matter how hard they try to stay clean, they smell of waste. Most become social outcasts and are abandoned by their husbands, families, and villages. Often believing that there is no cure, they're then left to live alone in despair for the rest of their lives. When Australian gynecologist Dr. Catherine Hamlin first came to Ethiopia, she thought it was for a short trip to help set up a midwifery school. But when she saw these suffering young women, her plans changed. The previous gynecologist had said to us, look, the fistula patients will break your hearts. You can't really do anything to help them. And so we were determined to try to do what we could. It's estimated that 9,000 young women develop fistulas in Ethiopia every year. Catherine knew a surgery that could cure these girls and restore their dignity. So while you were pushing, pushing and pushing, you pushed a big hole in your bladder. And if you look at this bit of paper, you'll see the big hole. Now the good news is that we're going to be able to mend it. Just a few stitches and it'll all be mended. Making it their life's mission to help as many of these girls as possible, Catherine and her late husband moved to Ethiopia and opened the Addis Ababa Fistula Hospital, helping thousands of women in the last 30 years. Every morning, desperate girls arrive at the hospital, hoping to be cured. Most of them travel for days to meet with this compassionate healer that many call St. Catherine. She insists that nobody is turned away and treatment is free. We try to admit as many as we can at once because they've made a journey from the country. Often they've had to sell an animal, a cow or a sheep, to make the bus fare, or they've even just begged. After treatment, every girl leaves the hospital wearing a new dress. Catherine wants to make their return home special. This next story is another one for our Chutzpah Hall of Fame and goes to show that you're never too young to dig deep and to go for it. On August 12, 2000, eight-year-old Midsi Sanchez never made it home from school. Mitzi usually walked home with her brother, but that day she ran ahead of him, disappearing somewhere along the five short blocks between the school and her house. We run through uh, like 20, 20 different you know, families, and, and uh, she wasn't there. And that's when I started realizing you know, that something was really wrong. For two agonizing days, police canvassed the neighborhood, searching for clues, while friends gathered around the family, praying that Mitzi would return home alive. Mitzi, if you're watching, I love you. Mitzi's parents frequently talk to their children about stranger danger and what to do if they were ever abducted. I hope she can make it, and I hope she's stronger than they are. Their prayers were answered when a truck driver, some 70 miles away, saw a terrified little girl running from a man screaming that she'd been kidnapped. As she jumped into the driver's truck, her captor sped off in his car. She saw me and I saw her, so she waved me down, and she was just like, kind of relieved that the guy drove away and she, she knows, I think she knew she was going to be safe. After being held captive for 48 hours with little to eat, Mitzi described how she'd been chained and locked to the inside of the kidnapper's car. She showed me the chain mark on her legs. When he left her alone in the car with the keys, Mitzi saw her opportunity to escape and took it without hesitation. Nine hours later, authorities arrested 39-year-old convicted felon Curtis Dean Anderson on kidnapping charges. He was later sentenced to 251 years in prison. 
Experts and police believe that it was Mitzi's level-headed thinking and good common sense that saved her life. It feels good to be home. It feels good staying with my parents and my brothers and sisters. Mitzi's now 12 years old and is taking boxing classes. She's also proud of her soccer team's winning streak. And so are we. You women have inspired me so much today. Thank you for your hoodstack. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.